Are you ready to overcome the complexities and burdens that come with your success? Join the team at Centura Wealth Advisory in the Live Life Liberated podcast. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to the Live Life Liberated podcast. I'm Bill Tucker. Today on the podcast, we have Chris Hyman and Sean Clark from Centura Wealth. Sean, the floor is yours. Well, thank you very much. So, uh, our listeners, you've probably heard me several times if you're familiar with our podcast. Uh, if not, I am a wealth advisor. I focus on investments and was the director of financial planning for six years at Centura. So been doing planning for a long time. And my role is predominantly around designing case wor- cases and solutions for cases so that people can great, get great outcomes with both tax planning and investments. But who I've got on the show today is actually... Uh, an in-house expert of ours on insurance. And so insurance is often a byproduct of planning designs, whether it's by mortality risk or some other needs such as income replacement or perhaps using it as an investment alternative. And so lots of different uses for life insurance. Uh, It's an area that gets incorporated into our designs all the time. But anytime it gets incorporated, we bring in Christopher Hyman. So many of our listeners have heard him before as well. But today we're going to be talking about life insurance, both from a general aspect as well as a uh, specific use case um, lens, both at Centura and for some specific demographics. So with that, I'll turn it over to Christopher, give, let him give you a little bit of background about himself, how we work together, and then we'll jump into the topic for today. Sean, thank you very much. And Bill, it's great to be back on the podcast here. <clears throat> Sean mentioned I've been on here quite a few times as well, but never with never with Sean. So I'm very excited and pleased. Uh, true. Me, me and Sean get to work alongside each other um, on a lot of cases where we're carefully crafting solutions for clients to really help out their situation. And so, you know, I'm excited to get this one going. Just to give <clears throat> a little background on myself, I've been in, in the life insurance industry for a little bit over 10 years. Um, I started out my career as a case designer working for a member firm of M Financial Group. Those aren't familiar with M, M was headquartered out of Portland. They're a large uh, distribution, uh, a life insurance distribution company and uh, reinsurance company. And for this firm, we, we primarily dealt with creating um, estate tax liquidity plans, <clears throat> utilizing life insurance for the high net worth and ultra affluent. So we also, we, we saw, I saw many different life insurance designs during that. It was a great learning experience as I progressed in my career there. And I really had a chance to join Centura back in November of 2020, really smack in the middle of COVID. You know, Centura is headquartered out there in San Diego. I'm actually located in Delaware. And uh, it's been a great relationship. Um, I haven't looked back. I'm the director of insurance solutions here. I've got a small elite team that I run that, um, that we, you know, we're basically charged with, uh, you know, crafting and implementing life insurance solutions for our clients. And uh, a lot of times I work along Sean, as mentioned before, and we work together. Sean's um, very well versed in all things planning. Um, and so there's a lot of synergistic effect there between the life solutions and kind of the tax planning strategies that we that we work on. Great. All right, Chris. So when I first started in this business, it was 2006. I worked for a life insurance company. They told me I got my licenses and they told me to go out there and sell these products they taught me about. I was knocking on doors and doing that. And I pretty much got ran out of everywhere I knocked on the door. Nobody wanted to talk to me about life insurance. So talk to me about it. How have you been successful in this industry that no one wants to talk about? What are, you know, 
talk to me about that. Why does it get a bad rap? What are your use cases? Let, let's just start there. <laughs> well, number one, the the knocking on people's doors thing, uh, you know, from r- right off the gate. That's not, <laughs> um, you know, what's this person trying to sell me? You know, window, you know, window shingles or whatever it's going to be. But anyway, so um, yeah, look, I there's an old saying in this industry, and it's life insurance isn't bought, it's sold, right? So many times people people aren't clamoring to go out and buy life insurance many times and many times people don't really even understand the many uses that it can have and it also has some bad you know some negative connotations for various reasons it could be because of you know a, a bad prior experience it could be because you know a, a policy was sold under the guise of performing a certain way and there wasn't that much transparency and it performed a, you know, a different way. So there's, there, you know, the, the products can be not as flexible depending on the design. There's a bunch of reasons why life insurance can get a bad reputation, but how, what we're going to be talking about today is really how the high net worth and ultra affluent can utilize life insurance and under the right circumstances and, you know, looking at their macro picture, it can be an incredibly valuable tool with many uses that can alleviate many pain points. And so that's, that's going to be our, that's going to be our focus today. All right, Chris. So I agree with you. After having done this for what 17 years or so now, I agree there is a use for life insurance and there are certain people who it certainly benefits. And so in my experience, typically that's people who have north of one to $2 million per year of income, a net worth of $20 million that's, or more that's growing. And in those cases, life insurance could become part of the planning picture. So that tends to be the target client that we work with, the cases that you and I are involved with. Uh, So life insurance is definitely in our toolbox. So talk to me about how we take founder-led business owners and high-income earning executives through the planning process and, and what we do to kind of, you know, work with them from a tax standpoint, from your perspective, and then how life insurance can kind of piggyback and and integrate with some of those different pieces. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, well, number one, we have a we have a planning process here, which I'm sure you're obviously very familiar with, which is our liberated wealth process. It's a process where we're really we're, we're really setting out, depending on the client circumstance, we're going to be able to mitigate their current income tax liability by anywhere from 20 all the way up to 80%. In that process, embedded in that process, there's a lot of fact finding. We're going to build out the facts, assumptions, and goals. We're going to, you know, we're going to pool together a series of, you know, uh, just an entire fact pattern. And as we're layering in different solutions that, again, is kind of alleviating those pain points that a client has, whether that's their cash flow and retirement planning picture, whether that's just the, you know, the intensity of their income tax liability, it becomes evident where life insurance can fit in, right? And we utilize life insurance in in many different ways for high net worth clients. And it's going to depend upon how we build out those facts, assumptions, and goals. Because there's really, we like to break down life insurance into two main uses, right? One is for the death benefit and one is for cash accumulation. Now, everyone tends to think about the death benefit when they're thinking of life insurance, right? You've got your, the building blocks, you've got your policy owner, which can be an individual, it can be a business, right? It can be a, a trust many times. You've got your insured, right? Where the coverage is is placed on and you've got the death benefit, which is going to go to a beneficiary. So the policy- right, So for, be- for layman, let me just make sense of this. If I mm-hmm. buy a house and I've got a mortgage and I die tomorrow, I've got to replace that debt, right? My family's on the hook for that. They need income, those kinds of things. Those are traditional use cases of getting insurance for a death benefit, right? 
Correct. Yes. Okay. That, so those that, are simple I'm, examples, but I'm glad you said the lame and Sean, because, because we like to, we like to bifurcate this between the high net worth and ultra fluent and sort of everybody else. And many times for the everybody else category, that's exactly what they're doing, right? They're looking at, Hey, we've got this mortgage. Hey, we have this certain income that's coming in. And if, and if, you know, a married couple is looking at each other, if either one of us were to pass away, we, you know, the other one would be in a lot of financial burden. Okay. And so the, that death benefit can come and alleviate that. So it's used as a simple, many times an income replacement or indemnification tool. And once you, once you get to a certain level of income, once you get to a certain level of wealth, the uses multiply um, okay. by, by a great deal, really. Okay, great. Well, talk, talk to me about that a little bit more. So once you're past that death benefit planning of debt replacement, income replacement, those kinds of things, yeah. uh, from a wealth standpoint, what comes into play? And then let's also talk about business owners, because that's another group. I used to go around business parks, knocking on doors, selling buy-sell agreements and key man insurance, right? So there's other use cases there, but let's talk about those two groups specifically and how it gets a little bit different there. Sure, absolutely. So we'll talk, yeah, we'll talk from the personal planning side and then from the business side. So as you, as you alluded to, we deal with a lot of founder-led business owners. We also deal with a lot of just high income earning executives. And on the personal planning side, those, you know, really the uses are going to be the same for both of those. So one, one, really big use case of life insurance for people that are worth a lot of money or their estates growing is in the realm of mitigating wealth transfer taxes. We like to call this estate tax liquidity that uh, we're ultimately providing. So Sean, there's something called the federal estate tax, right? It's been coined as the most insidious tax sometimes because you're taxed on this income, <laughs> right? As you're doing your life and then oh, you know, that, guess what? your wow. heirs are now taxed. So it's uh, and to give an idea of how this works, there's what's called a lifetime exemption. And if your net worth is above that overall lifetime exemption, everything from there is going to be taxed at the federal estate tax rate. So let's give an example, right? Because the Tax Cut and Jobs Act made this made this a little bit uh, easier for for wealthy individuals. So the current marital joint lifetime exemptions around 27 million as of January 2024. That means if you're a married couple and you're worth $27 million and you both pass away tomorrow, your heirs are not going to owe federal estate tax. Okay. Now, depending on the state they live in, that could be a different story, but let's just, let, let's just stick to the federal level. However, let's say you're worth $100 million. Okay. And the same situation. Well, you get to take off the $27 million, right? The lifetime exemption, assuming none of it's been used, it's intact. Well, now, now I'm a millennial, so I can't do math well, but I think that's $73 million. And so now $73 million will be subject to that federal estate tax, which is 40%. So we're talking a $29 million tax liability, and that's due in nine months. Okay. Now, <clears throat> another factor to consider here is what does the liquidity picture look like? Because you might say, well, okay, they got left $73 million. They just have to pay $29. That's not the worst deal. Number one, it's very significant uh, piece of that. But number two, many times that in that in that hundred million that's left over, not not much of it is liquid. So there's a lot of liquidity planning that would need to be done towards the end of one's life, so to speak, to be able to stave that off. And it can be a massive burden. 
So this is one way that wealthy individuals utilize life insurance because life insurance can be used as a tool to offset that tax liability. And there's ways- So let's just contextualize that liquidity aspect because that's something we run into. A lot of folks that have this level of wealth have maybe a, a business that you know they own or they have alternative investments like apartment buildings or commercial real estate or things. And as you said, it's due in nine months. So what if we're in the middle of a recession? or a poor market, or it's not a, a period of time when any you can't get any bidders on those assets. Mm-hmm. Um, those the, the illiquidity that's there, you would have to take a significant haircut on those assets in order to make them liquid to pay that tax, which is, I think, what the, the issue is, right? That's the problem when you have illiquid alternatives that all of a sudden need to be liquid. And that that's where insurance can come in and provide that liquidity and that cushion so that you can maintain ownership in those assets control and decide what to do with them on your terms versus some point in time that you didn't dictate or control. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. You hit the nail on the head there. And yeah, it really serves as a liquidity bucket where as long as you're feeding the premium engine, right? And there's some intricacies that go on with the design and how this performs over time. But as long as you're putting in the premium that needs to be put in and keeping track of the policy, it's a it's a liquidity bucket that's going to the next generation that can be used, uh, you know, to stave off or or pay for those uh, for that um, federal estate tax liability. Uh, yeah, so it can be it can be incredibly powerful. I want to mention though, it's not the only way to do that, and it's 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 one of the tools in the toolkit, right? There, yeah. there's a lot of talented estate you know um, estate planning attorneys out there that they'll use various what we call squeeze, freeze, and burn techniques. Right. There are other ways to get assets out of your taxable estate, but we feel that the more and more you do that, the more control you lose. And so, using those techniques in conjunction with life insurance is really where you're going to hit the sweet spot. And I think that's a good point because of all the cases we work on, not everyone involves life insurance. Um, it's you know it's situationally dependent or fact and circumstance dependent, but uh, it works in many cases, and in some cases it's not applicable. But I think that's a good point, Christopher. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. So we talked mostly about death benefit and some of that kind of stuff, as well as state planning uh, pieces of it. Talk to me about from an investment standpoint. You know, in, in low interest rate environments, I know that there was an opportunity to invest in life insurance solutions and kind of collect a, a spread, if you will. But there's also some other attributes from an investment standpoint that are that are worth mentioning. So why don't you talk to us about how people use life insurance from a cash value standpoint? Certainly. I think I think it's important to take note of the advantages of life insurance from a taxable standpoint and how cash accumulates. So most permanent products, life is really separated into term products, right? That are never really meant to pay out. It's just, it's there for a Just term. in case. hundred percent. Yeah. And that's yeah. why the products are cheaper, right? Um, and way less expensive. And then there's another class of products called permanent products, which are meant to be there for the long haul um, and some for it to some degree. And those products typically come with a cash value component. So there's four tax advantages of life insurance that are important to note. Tax advantage number one is that the underlying assets within the life policy grow tax deferred. Okay. So they're going to, so any, any growth that underlies the life insurance policy, you're not going to be taxed on that growth. Number two is policyholders have access to withdrawal their account value tax-free up to their basis, right? Number three is there's access to policy loans. So you can take policy loans against your cash value 
and not realize any gains. Okay, so number so numbers two and three there they have to do with tax advantage distributions from the policy, and then number four, the one that most people are familiar with, is that the death benefit the death benefit is is received uh, tax free. So those are the four advantages or tax advantages of life insurance. So you could imagine um, if structured properly, the cash value can really grow in a tax efficient manner. And there's all types of designs surrounding this, but how people that make a certain amount of income in North will utilize this many times as is an alternative asset class, right? They're using this, this tax efficient asset class. And there's, there's, there's a whole different, there's a whole bunch of ways that you can skin this cat. We, what, what we're typically talking about when we're dealing with our clients and utilizing life insurance for cash value is something called private placement life insurance. And we can touch on that in, in a, a little bit, but that's, that's what we're talking about. It's, it's designing a policy where we're now no longer as worried about the death benefit. It's still there. It's an ancillary benefit, mm-hmm. but we're worried about the efficient accumulation of that policy cash. And we're yeah. gonna, we're actually driving down the death benefit so that the net amount of risk is minimized, right? The right. The cost of, risk of insurance then. Is, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I've worked on cases where we've used it as a fixed income alternative where you, it grows it tax deferred nice and efficiently, and then you can borrow out against either with loans or uh, withdrawal basis and be able to access that money in a tax efficient way as income over one's lifetime. And so depending on where that fits in, I know we've used it in a number of different ways uh, on things like that uh, over the years and makes more sense on that in some interest rate environments versus others, but there's all kinds of different considerations and things. So I guess, Chris, what you know, when you think about insurance at Centura, what percentage do you think falls under what we call death benefit type planning versus what percentage is more cash value type planning around investments? It's a good question. I'd say primarily what we're doing is more in the death benefit range, just because we're dealing with a lot of wealth transfer, right? We're, we're, we're really dealing with a lot of um, high net worth individuals that are that uh, you know, that's a big piece of their planning puzzle they're trying to solve is efficient wealth transfer. So I, I'd say 80-20, probably 80% okay. is more death benefit and wealth transfer focused, whereas 20% is more cash focused. And that 20% really falls into two realms, right? It's the PPLI or private placement life insurance, which we mentioned, and um, also optimizing a defined benefit plan, right, for a business owner. So um, All right, so let's talk about those things in context. So yep. some of the planning we do strategies i could say like a charitable remainder trust or uh, a keeper right a qualified personal residence trust or a defined benefit plan these are planning techniques that introduce mortality risk meaning that if you pass away something bad's going to happen relative to the strategic design of these these uh, solutions right They'll be pulled back into the estate. You'll have unfunded liabilities. There's all kinds of different stuff that could happen in these various things. But that introduces what we typically call mortality, right? So another one is the estate tax liquidity or control. So how to talk through those different things. But talk to me a little bit about when you have a planning strategy that introduces an element like mortality risk or liquidity control. What kind of policies do you look at? What are some of the solutions? How do you think about that from an insurance design standpoint? Yeah, it's a great question. Again, the facts and circumstances are going to dictate this, right? Whether we're going to want to put a lot of money into the policy relative to the death benefit or a little bit of money into the policy relative to the death benefit. But in the context of what you're speaking about more 
synergistically designing life insurance with a planning strategy such as you, you mentioned a CRT or a charitable remainder trust, as you mentioned, you know, where in that particular strategy, you're you are receiving income, right? And there's there's nuance there, but you're you're pretty much receiving an income on a consistent basis from the, you know, um, from that strategy. And then at the end of the at at the, at the end of it, a lump sum or a certain amount is going to go to the charity. Well, if you were to pass right prior to, prior to that designated timeline, then what you what you essentially did is you essentially gave the charity a humongous gift that was never intended. Now, look, I'm not saying that's a horrible thing, but in the scope of your planning, that that's you know you everyone has a certain charitable intent, and you might not have wanted to give three million dollars right off the bat to a charity. So okay, so um, you donated an asset to a charitable remainder trust in exchange for income over a period of time, and if you pass away tomorrow. You, your heirs, nobody gets that income. That money just goes to charity. And that was not what you intended, right? So that's what you're kind of talking about here yeah. is that's the mortality risk aspect in that strategy where you could then introduce insurance that would do what? How would the insurance play in there? Yeah, well, the, the, the insurance would, would basically, you know, infuse or make your heirs whole from the from that you know lump sum charitable gift let's say income replacement right that's basically what what it is you're replacing that income that they are now out that goes to charity which is okay if that's your goals and stuff but you want your heirs to be whole too so the liquidity it's tax-free death benefit that is available for your heirs to now take as lump sums and effectively replace the dollar amount of income they otherwise would have been do from those assets that you contributed to the CRT. Absolutely. And it can be used as, you know, as kind of dual purpose, right? Because you could have the mortality risk piece of it. And then once that's no longer a factor, right? Let's say, let's say there's a CUPRA term, a qualified personal residence trust. Okay. And once that term is up and now the the asset that, you know, in that in that particular case, it's going to be some sort of um, you know, some sort of property. Once that, you know, uh real estate property is outside of your estate. Then the life insurance no longer becomes a mortality hedge in the in in that regard. It, be, it can okay. be now more of a wealth transfer tool. Um, okay, so now talk to me about that. So now we're through the planning window where it served as a an insurance policy against death in case of an adverse situation. You've cleared that hurdle, and now you're stuck with this policy. And you're saying you could look at it and say, okay, based on my wealth, health, and stuff, what do I? Is there utility for this policy? And if so great. How do I pay for it? And if not, what do I do with the policy? So ha- take us from there. Yeah, I think I think that touches on into just the flexibility of design with these. But for instance, if there's after that term happens and you might you might say, yeah, there's there's a lot of utility to this policy, you know, where we have and and many times, Sean, as you know, we, we run um, an EVP or a, a state value projection. And it may be determined that, hey, look, you're a client is on the path to owe a significant amount in um you know, estate taxes if if there's no planning done. And so really you kind of have a turning point within in that particular use case we were talking about where it's going from a wealth transfer tool and a mortality hedge to now just kind of a solely a wealth transfer tool. But either way, what's what and how we typically design these is we design these to put in the minimum amount of premium to get the policy out to a certain level, right? A certain um, time duration, let's call it 20, 30 years. And then we're going to reassess based on four criteria, and that's health, wealth, liquidity at the current moment, and the current legislative environment. And we're going to look at all those factors. And to, to your point, we're, we're going to de- we're going to de- determine the optimal path forward. 
whether that's retain the policies as is and pay whatever premium is needed, and we can tie into that optimal strategy. Whether it's, hey, look, maybe we want to finance the premium for for these uh, for these policies. Um, maybe health has gone in a in a wrong and you know in in a bad way, and you know maybe we want to sell. Maybe the life settlement market opens up. Um, we can sell one of the policies to pay for another. So, or maybe we want to maybe we want to surrender one of the policies. There's there's a whole slew of and I say policies plural because many times we're writing multiple policies here for flexibility. But there's, there's so let's clarify be- that. So if we write a policy, if we have a married couple, we write two policies. We do that for flexibility because there's four options as you just described that one could potentially do later, right? And by having multiple policies, it allows one flexibility based on their situation, whether it's wealth, health, the legislative environment, uh, or other factors that you know come into play. And how they want to do that, right, Chris? So take us, I mean, I know I've worked on cases where we've done premium financing on policies. I know others where we've sold the policies. And I'm not sure it's something people are familiar with as an option. I think many people think you pay the premiums and if you don't, the thing goes away. So talk to us a little bit about a little bit more about secondary options just to life insurance down the road. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I won't look, we could do we could do you know, a whole another podcast for an entire day on premium finance and on life settlement. But yeah, for those that don't, um, that haven't heard of this before, you are able to, you know, go to a lending institution and actually have them supply the premium via loan. And what they're, what, what, what the bank's going to look at is it's going to look at the underlying cash value. You'll be able to collaterally assign the policy to the lending institution as collateral, and then you'll have to post uh, additional collateral, so to speak, for that loan. But there's there's fact patterns where this makes a lot of sense, and there's fact patterns where, hey, that's probably the juice isn't worth the squeeze here. So, but that's definitely an option down the line. And then there's comp- now switching to life settlement or what we call the secondary market. There's there's companies out there that specialize in purchasing. Um, a high volume of policies that fall within certain parameters to where they're just looking on getting a payout via the death benefit. So you're essentially selling the po- policy owners, essentially selling the policy for cash to a life settlement company. And the life settlement company is now taking over the uh, rights to, to that to that death benefit. So these are ways, for instance, you can like, let's say you have three policies and 20 years later, it might make sense to sell one of the policies to pay for the other two. Maybe you don't need all three policies and you're and you're in a situation where the life settlement market makes sense. So this is the type of flexibility that we're that we're talking about down the line, and how the use cases of life insurance can kind of change over time as uh, goals change and as the facts on the ground change. All right, cool stuff, Christopher. Business owners, talk to me about business owners. They're a unique category here, where I think there's, I don't know, four kind of ideas at least that come to mind for me. We do defined benefit plans a lot. Yep. We do buy-sell agreements for businesses, key man policies, and executive compensation plans. So if you kind of touch on those, and those would be for any business owners that are really operating a business and looking to manage risk and or maximize some of, maybe like in the case of executive comp plans, maximize value to their employees, things of that nature. Uh, So talk to me about that. And then as a subset of that for business owners that end up selling What's another way that we utilize uh, insurance in those scenarios? That's a great question, and another one. Again, we could spend a uh, wide, uh, you know, range of time on. But um, yeah, I'll try to be succinct here. So, 
again, I want to say, I want to make it clear that business owners many times, right, that, that all the same personal planning can many times apply to business owners that have really been successful in their business and have higher in income. So what we're really talking about is business owners having insurance to where the business is the policy owner, right? Or where the business is directly involved with paying some of the premiums. So that's really what we're talking about when we're talking about business life insurance and that sort of business line. So yeah, I can, I mean, just go on the list. So you had mentioned key person life insurance. Well, Imagine, um, imagine a business and if two individuals in that business were to pass away, the revenue of the business would drive down significantly. Well, that's a humongous business risk, I would say. So many times what a business will do is they'll actually take out life insurance on those individuals called key person life insurance. And so if something were to happen with them, it would at least make, make the business somewhat whole to, to mitigate that risk of those very vital individuals who are huge revenue producers and huge contributors to the company you know, passing away. Um, business succession is huge and it's actually shocking. They've done studies on uh, the number of businesses that have actually have a true business succession or a uh, succession plan. And you, it, I, I think the numbers are, as I mentioned, shocking how, how few do, especially, you know, smaller and middle tier business uh, size businesses. And so buy, buy sell agreements basically create the efficient passing of those business ownership shares. And so you're essentially, um, you know, taking out life insurance on a partner, let's say, to make the passing of those business shares easier if something were to happen. And so that's that, that's what buy sell is. So these are these are tools. Look, we're gonna if if we're dealing with business owners and and we see vulnerabilities there in the planning. I mean, these make a lot of sense to put into place. Sean, you'd also mentioned um, executive compensation plans. I think, and a lot of times, look, um, you know, it's it's hard keeping talent nowadays. It's hard keeping, uh, or, you know, it's hard attracting and retaining ta- uh, top talent. And a lot of times businesses want to create incentive plans, right? They want to create, um, you know, executive, uh, you know, reward vehicles to be able to reward their top, you know, top performers and also be able to help retain them. And so they'll put into place these executive compensation style plans. Many times life insurance, and this is the cash accumulation style life insurance, is utilized as an informal funding vehicle for these um, sort of uh, golden handcuffs is how they're many times coined where, you know, there's usually some very powerful, you know, bonus style incentive or, you know, compensation piece, whether it's immediate or delayed. And there's usually some sort of timing component to it where there's a vesting schedule of such. And uh, life insurance often can be used again as as the sole or one of the um, informal funding vehicles for these style plans. Can be it can be very powerful for a business to retain their top talent. Cool. Uh, you, you mentioned one other, I think, defined yeah. plan. Yeah. Um, yeah def- well, hey, well, Sean, I know you. You know, and I obviously handle the life set. I know you handle. You know, you help implement some of these plans. Many. Yeah. Times. You know, maybe it'd be helpful for you to go into why. Yeah. So. Yeah, hundred. So defined benefit plans are cool because you know if you're a business owner and you start out initially, you might save to an IRA or something like that. And then maybe set up, you know, a SEP IRA or something when you're really kind of kicking butt and able to save a little bit more. But at some point when you really become profitable and you start looking at how to maximize what you put away on a pre-tax basis into a retirement plan, you're going to end up looking at a defined benefit plan. And so a defined benefit plan is basically a plan that allows you to put away a lot of money. And one of the ways it do, does that is by creating... Um, what are basically liabilities that would be paid out to vested employees down the road. And those liabilities are basically accruing in the plan over time. And if you as the plan owner 
pass away tomorrow and are no longer able to put money into that plan or put away the pieces to fund those benefits, well, now the plan's insolvent. It's not going to be able to do what it does. So the IRS requires you to be able to make the plan solvent and things. And in those cases, life insurance is the, the mechanism that allows you to do that. And it basically affects you, uh, the ability to put away more money on a pre-tax basis than you would otherwise be able to. And so that's an example from a planning standpoint where we utilize death or defined benefit plans, uh, where a death benefit is actually utilized inside the plan as part of the plan design to be able to allow business owners to maximize the contributions, but also make you know participants of the plan whole in terms of the benefits that they're due. Awesome. Did I miss did I miss anything there, Chris? I don't I don't think you did, Sean, hundred percent. And, okay. and and as you you know, as you alluded to, life life insurance can be a very valuable, you know, added component within these plans that really help optimize the contribution factor and um and you know and and you know uh, provide other benefits. So these are these are the ways in which business owners can really utilize life insurance as and a there's tool. actually more to it, right, Chris? We could actually go out and pull out life insurance <laughs> out of plans within a safe harbor discount and things. We can get into other rules and tools. Chris and I think I think we could talk about this all afternoon. But in any case, those are great tools. There's also segregated asset plans, 831Bs. Those have been in the crosshairs of courts and 30 dozen lists and other stuff for years. So those are things we've done podcasts on. You can listen to that stuff. But lots of different ways that insurance is used for business owners. Chris, talk to me about business owners that want to sell. If they're going to sell, is there a, a way to use insurance to help there? Yeah, no, Sean, abs- absolutely. Life insurance can be utilized here. And this goes into that. I'm, and I'm not going to go because, again, this could be a podcast in and of itself. I'm not going to go into too deep here. But I had mentioned um, I had mentioned a concept called private placement life insurance. And we like to separate par- private placement life insurance into two types. One's what we call plain vanilla. And this think of, you know, cash accumulation or that alternative asset class we had we had discussed. That's where really a high income earning um, investor is. They're, they're probably already um, investing in alternative style investments, right? And a lot of those investments, they look, they have a lot of upward growth potential, but they come with a pretty steep uh, tax drag on them. And so what we can do is we can use a life insurance chassis or structure. We like to call it a, a tax efficient wrapper for tax inefficient assets. So we're really maximizing these policies and we're, invest- we're, 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 we're having the flexibility within this particular type of policy to invest in alternative style investments that can then provide, you know, really good investment alpha at a really efficient tax drag because you're, again, life insurance grows tax deferred. So you're trading the outside tax drag for the internal cost structure of the policy. And if structured properly, it's not even close. It's going to be in favor of the of the life insurance contract. So that's one way. It's what we call plain vanilla PPLI. But the other type of PPLI is more geared towards business owners and in particular business owners that are looking for a disposition at some point in the, you know, in the near future. And there are strategies around that to where we can utilize private placement life insurance to make that disposition very, you know, a very uh, efficient transaction. So I won't, I won't, we, we, we have other materials on this. I won't go too deep into this. That's probably all, all I'll say on that, but um, yeah, it can be, no it can be valuable for, for our business owners. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we would have cleared the table uh, Thanksgiving dinner at this point, but you know, with that, I'm going to hit you with a few rapid fire questions and we'll get out of here. So for anyone who's still listening, thank you. And what we'll go through, I want to know a little bit around how we look at insurance. So is this something we, every client we think has to have it or, you know, it's fact and circumstance dependent, like I've mentioned, how do we look at that from our side? 
every everything is fact and circumstances dependent right there's no one right size you know there's no one size fits all solution and that's why i love what we do sean and we sit there and dissect the client situation and life insurance is no different um so it's definitely not needed in all situations but again for those making north of one to two million those worth greater than 20 million many times it, it can it can prove to be a valuable tool that said we're going to look at their in-force block of insurance too they, they may already own insurance so we're going to look what do you have why do you have what you have do you know why you have what you have and we're going to use that whole picture in conjunction with you know what might make sense to add on to that or to even replace okay great next question if I'm a business owner, how do I know whether to look at insurance or not? That guy knocks on my door in the business park. Do I talk to him or no? Again, facts, assumptions, goals, circumstances. It's it's this is all gonna matter here, right? You know, what is the business owner's succession plan? Again, are they at a level where they can implement a defined benefit plan, right? Do are they planning on a disposition? All these these are all questions. We're we're gonna we're going to gather all of this data and we're going to determine, hey, is there is there a value proposition here, right? Because again, life insurance, you know, like I said before, it is many times sold or almost always sold and not bought. And you need to, you need to really, um, you know, you need to really lay out, hey, why is this valuable? What pain point is it solving? And so we, that's no different in the personal side to, to the business side, just the solution set is different. All right. Two more questions. So... How do you pick a different carrier or product? Is it based on who takes you out to the best lunch or, you know, how does that go on? <laughs> the best lunch wouldn't, wouldn't hurt, but yeah, no, it's uh look, there's actually over 700 and I think 50 plus us life insurance companies it might be 730. Don't, don't hold me specifically to that number, Sean, but we, we typically deal with a subset of 28 for all variety of reasons. So, First, we need to understand the need, right? Why do we need the life insurance? From there, there's different carriers that fit the bill that offer different products. And there's a whole product selection criteria that we won't get too deep into that goes to competitive pricing versus sound pricing, right? Versus, versus their underwriting standards versus um, what's their capacity? Maybe we need to put $100 million on an individual. Well, can this particular carrier even give us that? Versus do we want to diversify carrier, diversify product type? Up to you know what kind of riders are offered. Maybe you know there's there's a whole slew of uh, select like a, a selection filter criteria we're going to go through to come to the optimal decision here. So, all right, Christopher, if we go to a party together, we're not allowed to discuss this, but I'm <laughs> glad we talked about it today. There's lots that uh, goes on here, so you've got 30 seconds left. Is there anything you haven't imparted us with today, knowledge wise, or in the world of life insurance that you would otherwise like to provide us with? No, just that, look, it's funny. When I got into this business, I had a very limited idea on what life insurance was. And once I realized all the ways in, in which it can help people and be very valuable, it was really eye-opening. And I think that, again, in the context of a macro financial plan, right, a, a comprehensive financial planning strategy, it can add tremendous value and be very synergistic with some of the strategies that we're already implementing as, as Sean, as you and me have both experienced, you know, throughout our, throughout our careers here. So I'm always excited to help clients navigate this path. And uh, yeah, that's uh that's how I would end it. Great. Well, if anybody's interested in talking about life insurance, Chris knows more about it than anyone I've ever met. So uh, give us a call. I'm sure he'd be happy to share with you his findings and beliefs and all that kind of stuff. So Bill, that's all we've got for today. Uh, we'll turn it back to you.
All right. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Interesting conversation, actually. Chris, thank you for uh, contributing with your expertise. Appreciate Absolutely. It thank you for allowing me on. Hopefully, again, to Sean's point, we didn't scare too many people away. Um, pretty in-depth combo there, but happy to be here as always and can't wait to come back. And in, just in case anybody's listening to this in the car, I hope we didn't have any, have any car wrecks, but I, I'm sure that they can reach you through the information in the show notes, Sean, or what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Yeah, I think our website, CenturaWealth.com, we've got a wealth of information on there, other podcasts, you know, our team, what we do and our process, that kind of stuff. So that's the best way. All right. Super. Terrific. It's down there, folks. If you are listening to this and you're not already a subscriber to the podcast, I would encourage you to just reach out and hit the subscribe button. That's easy. And that way you don't ever miss another episode of this podcast. And if you like it, tell people about it. Spread the word about what these guys are talking about and what's happening at Centura Wealth. On behalf of Sean and Chris and everybody at Centura Wealth, I'm Bill Tucker, thanking you for taking the time to listen and reminding you that you can go out today and make it a great day or not. It's your choice. Have a great one. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Centura Wealth Advisory. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Centura Wealth Advisory, Centura, is an SEC-registered investment advisor with its principal place of business in San Diego, California. Centura and its representatives are in compliance with the current registration and notice filing requirements imposed on SEC-registered investment advisors, in which Centura maintains clients. Centura may only transact business in those states in which it is notice filed or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from notice filing requirements. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Tax relief varies based on client circumstances and all clients do not achieve the same results.